Chapter 7 of The Blue Star by Fletcher Pratt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Blue Star Chapter 7 Cedad Vix A New Life The doorman did not glance from his cachet a lazy doorman, and the provost on guard at the street entrance was equally indifferent as Rodvard went past, feeling a trifle unreal after so long close indoors. Remigorius was compounding a filter with mortal and pestle. He hailed Rodvard almost boisterously, laughing over the figure he made in his false facial hair. "'What? Will you have a career as a lady's lapcat, now that you've turned seducer by profession? Well, I have summoned you here because things mount to a crisis. The court's finance is utterly broke, and the high center holds that we must move fast, for though there are stirrings in the west, it seems they move in the direction of Pavinius. Said Rodvard, We are likely to be broke ourselves. Madame Kaja's a traitor. Pestle stopped in order. The doctor's face seemed to narrow over the midnight thicket of his beard, and a soft pink tongue came out to run a circlet round his lips. "'I'll mix that bitch a draught will burn her guts out. Give me the tale.' Rodvard told it all plainly, with the hiding on the rooftop and the household of the Amorosian woman, over which last Remigorius' eye held some anxiety. "'The one who came here?' You did not tell her of our fellowship. These people of the prophet's rule lie as close together as so many snowflakes, and though they're as deep against the court as we, I would not trust them. But touching your affair of the old singer... He placed one finger to his cheek and held his eyes averted, so that Rodvard could not see where his true thought lay. You're too censorious. I see no real treason there. She's deep in double intrigues, and must keep up an appearance, beside which, no doubt, there is something of an old woman's green sickness for a younger man. It may all have been by order of the high center indeed. You certainly have been saved yourself by some tale, for you are now too valuable. Now for our affair. You are to take the stage at dawning for Cedad Vix, where you are to be writer for Count Cludi at the conference of court. Rodvard's eyes sprang open wide. "'The court? Will I not be known?' "'Ah, nya, you're not involved now in this pursuit of the provosts. The only one that could establish your communion with the witch is cared for.' "'What? Who would that be?' "'Your pensionario doorman. An accident happened to him last night, but one. Was found in the river this morning, thoroughly dead and green as a smelt.' Remigorius waved a hand goodbye to Udo the Crab and whipped to his main theme, the conference of court. Forreston the Chancellor, the army restive for want of pay, the revenues hypothecated, the question of a great assembly, Cludy intriguing, the time come for all terrible measures. "'But Matherin can discover all this as clearly as I,' said Rodvard, a little quick fire of suspicion running through him. "'Better in the open.' but we know the secret purposes, and whom to trust. Matherin takes Cludy to be a spy for the regent of Trichulaca, 
despite his ejection from the councils there. Is it true? You'll find the hiding place of his mind. Then there's Baron Brunevar, the people's friend, as they call him. A reputation too exalted for credit. He's from the West. Is he not by chance in Prince Pavinius' service, seeking to place that worm-bitten saint on the throne, as prince and prophet, both together? A thousand such questions. You'll play in high politics, young man, and earn yourself a name." Rodvard, heart-beating, said, "'Well—' "'Well, what do you ask more?' His mind made up with a snap, and as though the words came from someone else, Two things. To write a letter to Demoiselle Asterhax, who will be expecting my return, and to know how I am to reach Cedad Vix without a spada. Remigorius shot him a glance, hit and passed, in which there was annoyance and something like a drop of ink about Lalette. What, you grasshopper? Always without money. To Cedad Vix is a spada and two coppers. He drew from his pouch this exact amount. As for the letter, write. Here's paper. I'll charge myself with the delivery. Rodvard wrote his letter, discussed through a falling light what persons might be watched at the villa by the sea, and how to give the news to Matherin, dined miserably with the doctor on a stew that had the sharp taste of meat kept beyond its time, and lay down exhausted on the floor with a couple of cushions and his cloak. Sleep withheld its hand. His mind kept running in a circle round the thought of being controller of destinies, until he made up a land of play-show in his head, of being accuser before a court of the people, with some man who bore a great name as the accused, and himself making a speech. "'But you, your lordship, are a liar and a traitor. What of your secret adhesion to the prophet?' The scene he could fix clearly with the accused's face and the members of the court looking grim as the accusation was driven home. But somehow the people of his drama would not move around or change expression beyond this one point, and each time he reached it the whole thing ended in a white flash, and he drifted for a while between sleeping and waking, wondering whether his blue star might not be driving him foolish, until the imagined play began again without any will of his own. Toward day he must have slept a little, for Remigorius was laying a cold hand on his face, and it was time to look toward the new day and a new life. 2. From the city to Cedad Vix by the shore is a fair twelve leagues, through the most fertile fields in all Dasola, now jumping with new green, orchards blooming in a row and pale yellow jonquils. Another time Rodvard had found the trip after they crossed the high bridge pure pleasure, but now he felt having missed his sleep, and the travel-mate in the opposite seat was a good-looking pregnant woman, who said she was going to join her husband, and babbled on about his position in the royal orchestra till one could not even doze. The blue star said coldly that she was a liar, and talking to hide the true fact, namely, that she hated her husband and pregnancy and the love of any man, and as soon as she was free of her condition hoped to catch the eye of some wealthy lady and to be maintained for pleasures impermissible, so vile a thought that Rodvard closed his eyes. The man next to him was a merchant of some kind by the badge in his cap, 
he kept addressing heavy-handed compliments to the dame, saying that he would dance with her at the spring festival and the like. Rodvard, turning, could see he thought her licentious, and was determined to profit by it at some future time. At Mass Joan, where they stopped for lunch, the merchantman bought a whole roasted chicken and a bottle of that fine white Trichulacan wine which is called the Honey of the Hills. Rodvard himself was a little faint from lack of food when he reached the royal villa after a solid half-league of trudging beyond the stage-post, nor did the under-butler who received him offer food, but took him at once to a cabinet looking out over a terraced flower-garden, at the back of the rambling building. This guide said to wait for the arrival of Sir Tuolen, the butler-in-chief. The name had a Germanish sound, and sure enough the tall man who came after perhaps half an hour's retard had the high-bridged nose and curling hair of that northern land. Rodvard stood to greet him with extended hand, and as he looked into the eyes received a shock that ran through him like poison-fire, with its indubitable message that he was facing another wearer of the blue star. "'You are Sir Bergelin?' The eyes looked at him fixedly, though the lips did not cease smiling. "'What is your function to be?' "'Writer to the Count Cludi for the conference,' Rodvard managed to say. One almost seemed to drown in those eyes, liquid and northern blue, but he could not read a single thought behind them. The smile expanded. You will find it easier to meet others who know when you have borne that stone for a time. I perceive it is a novelty to you. There are not many of us. Hmm. I suppose it is little use asking you why Count Cludi wishes a blue star with him. No matter. I have watched him before, and it is no secret that he wishes to be Chancellor. Even Lord Floriston knows that. I trust you are not an Amorosian or one of that band of assassins who call themselves Sons of the New Day?" No, said Rodvard, and thought with the back of his mind that this was why all plans to deal directly with the court had broken, and others of the Brotherhood had been laid in the toils of the provosts, this star-bearer here. With the front of his thought he concentrated on looking at the detail in the painting of a milkmaid just beyond Tuolan's ear. The butler-in-chief turned. It is by Rabasco. He was not satisfied with the highlights in the middle distance, and I discovered by a means you will understand, so it was easy to persuade the painting away from him. Do you intend to bring your wife? No, said Rodvard, thinking quickly on Lalette, and as quickly away. Oh, there is something wrong with the personal relation. Perhaps it is just as well if you do not. Her Majesty is not prudish, but she does not approve of witches at the court. Your room will be at the depth of the west wing, beyond the hall of conference. I will have one of the under-butlers show you." He stood up, then paused with one hand holding the bell-rope. One last word. A bearer finds himself in a strange position here without his witch. I suppose your wife has given you the usual warning about infidelity but you are clearly new to the jewel and young, and there are not a few ladies who might make the loss seem worth the gain, since you can read their desires. In particular, 
I warn you to stand clear of the Countess Ayella of Argen, in whom I have noted something of the kind. She is involved with the Duke of Agramans, a man who protect his own dangerously. Drop in tomorrow night after Cludy releases you. It will be a pleasure to compare things seen with another bearer. I have not met one for long. In the room was a tray of food on the table, ample and well selected, with a bottle of wine. Three or four books also, but they were all guessling romances, and of a kind Rodvard found it difficult to bear even when well written, as these hardly were. He glanced at each in turn, then tossed them aside, and was only rescued from boredom by Mathurine's coming, who pressed his hands and said he would come the next evening again, but for the now he must hurry. Rodvard replied that the high butler Tuolan was the bearer of a star, and Mathurin must either avoid his eye or keep his own thought on innocuous subjects. And his witch? Wait, no, that explains much. I do not see, said Rodvard. Why, fool, the hold the court party has! No sooner a man turns up that's in opposition than your Tuolan knows his most secret purpose, and I do not doubt that his wife witches the man. This is something for the high center of the new day. 3. A pretty maid brought him breakfast in bed. She gave him a cheerful morning greeting, but embarrassed him by hoping in her thought that he would not make love to her. Her mind held some memory of how the last man in this room had done so, but she shied from the thought of the outcome so much that instead of decently avoiding her look, Rodvard was tempted to pry deeper, but there was hardly time. She said it would be near to noon when Count Cludy rose, and that his apartment was in one of the pavilions set among trees and shrub and garden, west from the main villa. Rodvard dressed and went to stroll in that direction through curved avenues among intricate beds of spring flowers, tulip and narcissus, with pink azaleas just in the bud beside them and magnolia showing its heavy white wax. The pathways had been laid out so that each sweep brought somewhere into view through the trees the pale blue bay, with the white houses of Cedad Vix climbing the slope beyond, their walls touched to gold by genial sunshine. Bright yellow birds were singing overhead, or busily gathering morsels for their nests. Rodvart felt his heart expanding with a joyous certainty that all would yet be well, though in the same tick demanding of himself how men who dwelt in such surroundings could be given to evil and oppression. Ah, if all people could only walk in gardens daily! A question in philosophy to put to the doctor, but before he could frame it into words, a turn of the path brought him past a tall clump of rhododendrons to the front of a red-doored pavilion, where a gardener was letting into the ground plants of blooming hyacinth. The air was rich with their fragrance. "'Good morning to you,' said Rodvard cheerfully, for joy of the world. The man looked up with lips that turned down at the corners. "'If you say it is a good morning, I suppose it must be one for you.' he said, and turned back to his trowel. "'Why, I would call it the best of mornings. Does not the fine air of it please you?' "'Enough.' "'Then what's amiss? Have you troubles?' 
Who has not? The gardener slapped his trowel against the ground beside his latest plant. Look at these flowers now. Just smell that white one there. It's more fragrant than the blue. Aren't they beautiful things? Brought here at expense, and in this soil, see how black it is? They would grow more perfect than ever, year by year. But here's the end of them. As soon as the blossoms fade ever so little, poor things, they must be dug up and thrown away, because she— he swung his head and rolled an eye in the direction of the red-doored pavilion— can't bear to have any but blooming flowers at her door, and will want new lilies. "'Who is she?' asked Rodvard, lowering his tone, for fear that voices will sometimes carry through wood. "'The Countess Ayella. Her affair, you will be saying, whether flowers die or live. She has all that income from the Argent estates, and doesn't have to provide for her brothers, who married those two heiresses up in Brigatz, but a man could still weep for the waste of the flowers. Sir, give a thought to it. How in the world we never have enough of beauty and those who destroy any part of it take something from all other people. Is it not true now? He paused on his knees and looked up at Rodvard, who was growing interested indeed, but now felt the coldness of the blue star telling him that this earthly philosopher was not thinking of beauty at all but only reciting a lesson and wondering whether his pretty speech might not draw him a gift from this poetical-looking young man. "'I do not doubt it,' he said. "'But I have no money to give away,' and turned to go. But he had not travelled a dozen paces when he met one who must be the Countess Ayella herself by the little double coronet in her drag-edge hat. Rodvard Dolph to the coronet, noting in the fleeting second of his bow the passionate, bewildering beauty of the face surrounded by curves of light brown hair. She stopped. "'Put it on,' she said, and he looked up at her. The cloak did not conceal the fact that she was still dressed for evening. A leg showed through the slit in her dress. "'I have not seen you before.' "'No, your grace. I only arrived last night.' "'Your badge says you are a clerk.' I am a writer to the Count Cludi for this conference. He dared to look into the eyes a finger-joint length below his own. Behind them there was boredom with a faint flicker of interest in himself, and the thought of having spent a bad night, a weary thought. Count Cludi, oh, you might be him in disguise. She laughed a laugh that trilled up the scale, slipped past him with a motion as lithe as a gazelle's, and up the path into the red-door pavilion. Rodvard looked after her until he heard the gardener cackle, then, a little angry with himself, stamped on round the turn of the path, trying to recover the glory of the morning. Some of it came back, but not enough to prevent him thinking more on the comparison between this countess and Lalette than the difference between this day and any other day. And so he reached Clutie's door, with its device of a fishing-bird carved into the wood. Mathering greeted him properly in words to show he and Rodvard barely had met each other. The pavilion was all on one floor, the Count in a room at the side, with a man doing his hair while he sipped hot-spiced wine, from which a delicious odour floated. Rodvard had heard of 
but never seen this famous exile and intriguer. He looked into a narrow face with a broad brow above a sharp nose, and lips that spoke of self-indulgence. Matherin pronounced the name of the new writer. A pair of dark eyes looked at Rodvard broodingly, the thought behind them wondering what his weakness was and how he would cheat. Said Cludy, I do not ask your earlier employment, since it is of no moment if you are faithful and intelligent. I cannot bear stupidity. Can you read Tritaculan? Yes, Your Grace. You will gain nothing by attempting to flatter me with the form of address. On the side-table are pens and papers, also a horoscope which has been cast in Tritulacan and a poem in your own musical language. Make fair copies of both in Desolan. Have you breakfasted? His accent had the slight overemphasis on S with no Tritulacan ever loses. Yes, thank you. The symbols on the astrological chart were new to Rodvard. He had to copy each by sheer drawing and then translate the terms as best he might. The poem was a sonnet in praise of a brown-haired lady. Its meter limped at two points. Rodvard managed to correct one of them by a transposition of words, and presently laid both papers before Cludy, who knit his brows over them for a moment and smiled. "'You are a very daring writer to improve on what I have set down, but it is well done. Matherin, give him a Scuderius. Well, then, you are to wait on me in the conference at nine glasses of the afternoon.' Everything I say is to be set down, and also the remarks of the Chancellor Floriston, but most especially those of the Baron Brunevar, for these may be of future use. Of the others, whatever you yourself consider worth while, you are dismissed. Matherin saw him to the door. The Scuderius? asked Rodvard. Goes into the treasury of our centre said the servitor. "'But I have no money, no money at all,' protested Rodvard. "'Pish, you do not need it here. Would you starve our high purpose to feed your personal pleasure in little things? I will come to your room to-night.'" End of chapter 7